Habakkuk 3, uh, 17 to 19, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, he enables me to go on the heights. We kept these uh, words, uh, we isolated them from the rest of Habakkuk's prayer, simply because they are such sweet words. They have been a blessing uh, to Christians down through the ages, and we wanted to simply savor them uh, for a longer period. Uh, they are recognized as Wonderful words, even by some people who aren't believers. One notable example was Benjamin Franklin, the great inventor, uh, ambassador uh, of the newly formed United States to Paris. And Franklin wasn't a Christian, but he admired the Bible. And when he was in France, uh, some of the, the French skeptics that he met at court mocked him for his admiration of the Bible. And so Franklin thought to himself that he would test uh, their knowledge of the scriptures to see if they actually knew what it was they were mocking. And he said that he had come up across this ancient poem uh, and he had been impressed by its stately beauty and they all wanted to hear this poem. And this was, of course, Habakkuk 3 and uh, he took it in and the reading was received with great applause and they all wanted to know where they could obtain copies of the manuscript. And when Franklin told them that this was actually from the Bible, from Habakkuk 3, uh, they were astonished. But the force of the passage comes not so much from the beauty of the words, but the reality with which they deal. Last week, uh, I spent a good deal of time in a hospital ward where patients had all, serious, all kinds of serious health problems. And around the same time, uh, there were two men that I knew uh, well who suddenly dropped dead. They were taken from this uh, earthly scene, leaving, uh, in one case, grieving uh, sisters and, and nieces and nephews and friends, and in the other case, a grieving wife and son. These verses are for the hospital ward. These verses are for such grieving families. These are verses for the, the hard realities of life. Tells us that we may not only cope with such a situation, but we may rejoice in the midst of such situations. Now in many ways, uh, Habakkuk is like a little Job. It's like a a, a miniaturized version of the, the, the lengthy book of Job. Because, as you know, at the end of Job, Job isn't given the answers to the many questions that he has raised about God's dealings. He is simply given this amazing revelation of God himself. And that is sufficient <coughs> for Job. And it's a similar situation with Habakkuk. He's been greatly troubled by the religious scene in Jerusalem, uh, he's been even more troubled by the fact that God is going to send 
the Babylonians to judge uh, the Jews when he considers the Babylonians far more wicked than those that they're going to punish. He has this picture, this mental picture of everything that he holds dear being torn apart. But he comes through in triumph this wonderful flourish in song. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. So we're going to look at this song about joy in trouble. And we're going to look first negatively at what it's not. And then what it is. And thirdly, how we can experience it. How we can experience this joy in trouble. So let's clear the decks first of all. And describe what it's not. What is joy in trouble not about? You see, all kinds of people go through... Uh, troubles, and many people have ways of coping with trouble, uh, things that leave them perplexed. Maybe uh, an operation, maybe a separation from a loved one. And for all of us, eventually, it will be death itself. And there are ways that we can look to cope in these situations, and they're not necessarily the way of faith. One of the ways of coping is the way of fatalism. Now, I'm saying fatalism, not saying Calvinism. I'm saying fatalism, uh, an impersonal fatalism. Uh, the, the view that our, our lives are somehow determined by a, a blind fate. There's no point in fighting against it. Now, as Scotland lurches into uh, secularism and all kinds of folk uh, religions spring up, you, you come up against this quite often, this fatalism. Uh, people say, well, what's for you won't go by you. And really, God doesn't seem to enter into it. It's just a belief in some kind of fate determining their lives. Therefore, if it's going to happen to me, it's fated. There's no point in getting too upset about it. Everybody suffers, everybody dies. I might as well try to control myself and be resigned to it. Now that might be better than screaming against misfortune or falling apart. But it's not living by faith. It's not the believer's joy in the midst of trouble. At best it may be the typical British stiff upper lip. But it's not what Habakkuk is talking about in these verses. That's fatalism and fatalism is uh, a way that some people get through it. Or... People can get through the troubles in their lives by diverting, diverting their minds from it. And they'll say, well, I just don't want to think about it. I don't like talking about it. It gets me down when uh, somebody brings it up. I'd rather do something else. I'd rather think about something else. And so the trouble is blanked out. Whether it's personal crisis health, relationships, or maybe what's going on in the, the, the country around. And in order to blank out this looming operation or this redundancy or whatever it is, people will have all kinds of ways of trying to occupy themselves with something else. Now, for some people, the way that you divert may be to uh, 
get a, a stack of biscuits and sit down and watch endless DVDs. Take your mind off it. Hours in front of a screen. Or maybe to go on uh, some fancy holiday or to make endless purchases. So anything to divert the mind from this looming trouble. A third course that people take is sheer bravado. People say things like, well, I'm not going to let this beat me. You know? They are literally pulling themselves up by uh, the bootstraps. They are going to tough it out. <coughs> I'm going to walk tall. Uh, this is not going to beat me. Uh, it's a bit like the spirit of that, that poem that we quoted a while back, uh, Invictus, where the, the poet speaks of coming through his trials unbloodied and unbowed, the captain of his own destiny. So it's this, I'm going to beat it uh, idea. So that it's, it's the opposite of the fatalist who thinks there's nothing he can do anyway, but it results in the, the same kind of stern, unyielding approach to trouble. And it's not the life of faith that the righteous are called to live through all the troubles of life. It's not the Christian approach. Well, that's what joy and trouble as described by Habakkuk is not what is it that Habakkuk is speaking of. What is it? Well, it's the great privilege that comes to believers. Believers of all kinds can know what Habakkuk is speaking of. Uh, and we may not think that temperamentally that we would be like this. Uh, because we're all different temperamentally. And by nature, some of us tend to be alarmed by, the, by receiving bad news. Uh, we may be timid by nature. But by God's grace, we can experience not only strength, but we can have positive joy in the midst of the trouble. And that's a truly amazing, a truly supernatural experience. Anybody can say God is good when everything is going well. We ought to say God is good when things are going well because he is the giver of every good and perfect gift. But uh, it's relatively easy to do that, isn't it? Relatively easy to do that when there is blossom on the fig tree, when the folds are full of the flock. But it's very hard in the midst of something appallingly bad to sing praise to God. And Habakkuk had been, if you like, unzipped emotionally and physically by the revelation that God had given to him. In fact, he describes it uh, in, in verse uh, 16 in a very graphic way. The, the way that the news God had given to him about the Babylonians coming and ransacking uh, Jerusalem, he said that, uh, I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound, decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. So there's this, uh, this impact on, on Habakkuk's health, this physical response to what uh, he has heard. Uh, his inward uh, being, it's literally his bowels have been convulsed 
by the bad news. And yet, he can go on to speak of waiting patiently, uh, and it's literally to have a deep peace as he waits on God. <coughs> truly remarkable. Truly remarkable. And Christians in history have testified to this kind of joy. In 1851, there was a missionary by the name of Alan Gardner. I don't know if Mariana will know of, of this guy, but he was a missionary to Patagonia. He'd been a missionary in different places, but he uh, ended up going to Argentina to try and bring the gospel to the, the folks in that part of southern South America, way down at the tip. And he and his uh, fellow missionaries were sailing in a boat that was taking them round the, the very tip of, of South America, Tierra del Fuego. And they were shipwrecked. The crew were cast on shore and they had no supplies. And one by one, they died. And Gardner was the last to survive. And during the, the course of, of uh, his time there, starving uh, on this exposed part of the world, living in a cave, uh, he kept a, a journal. And during his last days, there was a quote from Psalm 34, verse 10, uh, the psalm that we sang earlier. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. This was a man who was starving to death, whose body was falling apart. And against it he had written, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. Though the fig tree does not blossom, there be no fruit in the vine, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. He was rejoicing in the midst of his calamity. He was proving the goodness of God in the most awful place. And that has been the experience of many, many Christians. Christians in hospital wards up and down the country. In funeral parlors. In concentration camps. The experience of Paul and Silas. Uh, deep down in, in that dark and damp and gloomy prison in Philippi. Singing to God at midnight. And Habakkuk has an interesting picture of what it's like to be able to, to, to rejoice in God in trouble. He says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Now, Habakkuk's saying that the Lord has put him on the heights in his trouble. And that the mountains in Habakkuk's day, were a place both of safety and of danger. They were a place of safety because if you built your, your habitation on the high mountain, uh, you were relatively safe from attack. It's very easy to see uh, an approaching enemy and relatively easy to defend yourself. And so mountains, in that sense, were safe. But they were also dangerous places. Uh, it's difficult to keep your foothold on the heights. One year in, in Sky, we had a couple of American students with us, and, and they were keen climbers, and they wanted to go on the, the Coolins. And I foolishly agreed to, to go with them, and, and we went up Skurnagillen. 
uh, which is the peak of the boys, and it was no child's play as we got near the top. And, you know, I've got to be absolutely honest, I was pretty terrified as we were nearing the top, and it was completely exposed. I was saying to myself, one slip, and have I got her? You know, down two and a half thousand feet. The heights are a frightening place. They are, a, a, they are sometimes a dangerous place. And Habakkuk's song is saying that by looking to God, he's been uh, given deer-like agility. Deer-like uh, safety uh, on the heights. What's he mean? Well, trouble, trouble or suffering, perplexity, anxiety can, can make us or break us. Uh, for some people, they're brought near to God by their experience and they know the exhilaration of praising God in bad times. But other people grow bitter. It's a dangerous place. Trouble pushes you up into the heights. And uh, we respond in different ways to that experience. Some people get softer and more tender. They experience hardship and they're more sympathetic towards others. More understanding. And others become cynical. Some become humbler as a result of their experience. And others actually become more arrogant. Uh, they say things like, no one knows what I'm going through. And so, for the believer who finds strength in God, uh, this experience can take us up to the heights. New heights of character. We meet God in the hardest of places. Now, Habakkuk's not saying that we don't experience tears or grief. He's not saying that we hold it together. Uh, as we go through this, he's described, hasn't he, how, how, how he felt uh, as though he was undone physically as well as emotionally. He acknowledges he's in a bad way. But nevertheless, uh, even in the midst of trouble, not simply after the trouble's over, but in the midst of it, we can know deep peace and we can know joy in the Lord. His questions haven't been answered. The Babylonians are still going to come. They're going to ransack Jerusalem. And yet, he can look at the very worst things that could happen to him and say, I'll still rejoice. I'll still rejoice. Though the fig tree doesn't bud, there's no grapes in the vines, the olive crop fails, the fields produce no food, there's no sheep in the pen, there's no cattle in the stalls, yet I'll rejoice in the Lord. Now, in Habakkuk's day, an Israelite would have several sources of food so that the, the risk was spread out. Uh, he would have vines for wine, figs for fruit. Uh, in fact, when you read the Old Testament, it's interesting that you have this idealized picture of what it would be to, to be an Israelite safe in the land. And the, the recurring picture is of every Israelite sitting under his own vine and his own fig tree. It's a lovely picture. You have it in 2 Kings 4 describing Solomon's reign when uh, Judah and Israel from Dan to Beersheba uh, lives in safety, each man under his own vine and fig tree. So it was a mixed economy. If frost hit the blossom on the fig trees, that was bad news. You've no blossom, you're not going to have any fruit. But it's not the end of the world because you still have the grapes to look forward to. And with the grapes you can have wine and you can dry the grapes and you can have currants. 
But if the vine weevil hit the grapes, that was bad news. No grapes either. But it's not a disaster. You still have cattle. And if the cattle were struck down, well, you've still got the sheep. And if the sheep uh, took ill, well, you may have an acre or two of wheat and you could sell the wheat. But Habakkuk's saying, if the lot was lost, if there was nothing, if it was a total wipeout, I could still rejoice in the Lord. Now that's, that's the difference, isn't it? Because people can look at trouble and yet find comfort by looking to the good that they still have. They may lose their job and they can say, well, I still have my health. They lose their health and they can say, I still have my family all around me and so on. And again, that's a good thing to do because that's counting our blessings. We're called to do that. But Habakkuk's pointing us towards something that's even higher than that. That if we lost everything, every good, in a physical, worldly sense, we have still the love of God. We still have our salvation. And that outweighs every loss. See what Habakkuk's saying? So that's what it is. How is it obtained? How is it experienced? How does Habakkuk come to the point where he can uh, find his joy in God instead of bitterly complaining against what he finds difficult to come to terms with. Uh, remember his, his name Habakkuk means embracer and he's been embracing the reality of this trouble. He is, he's uh, hit it head on. He was a religious man and the idea of the temple being uh, destroyed must have been terrible to him. The idea of these uh, Wicked uh, Babylonians running riot through his beloved land must have been very uh, painful to him. But when he hit ground zero, Habakkuk had a vision of a great God which sustained him. Now that's so important for you and for me. Because for many Christians today, their God is too small. And if we have fed our minds on the thought of a God who is simply a messenger for us of health and wealth, that God is too small. That God will not sustain us in the day of trouble. Or if we have downsized God through our chumminess of approach and trivializing his worship, again, that God is too small. He's not the God of Habakkuk and he's not the God that gives songs in the night. But Habakkuk had a great God and his great God is a God who is sovereign and he's a God who is saviour. And these are the two things that Habakkuk meditates on. He declares that he will rejoice in the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh, the sovereign God. And then he goes on to say, I'll rejoice, I'll be joyful in God, my Savior. It's verse 18. It's a, a, a Hebrew way of, of uh, writing poetry. You say the same thing. 
twice, but you take it a little bit further in the second line. He rejoiced in the sovereign Lord, in the name that God revealed himself to Moses. I am who I am. Yahweh, the God who is, the God who is in control of all things, the sovereign one, the king, the God who has ordained whatsoever comes to pass. And when you and when I am in trouble, we can look to the God who ordains whatsoever comes to pass and take our joy from him. We can say to God, you are the God whose eye is on the sparrow. Not one falls from the sky without you knowing it and having decreed it. I will trust in you. There is not one detail of my life over which I can say, God can do nothing about that. There's not one experience that I'll go through, but has not been decreed by God to draw me closer to him. So, when we go through hard times, we can say with Habakkuk, God is pushing me up to the heights with this experience. This is the Lord's doing. The sovereign Lord has done this. Let me respond in faith. Because remember Habakkuk's uh, been told that the righteous shall live by their faith through troubles. Let me respond to this trouble by faith. God has ordered it. Let me respond righteously with faith to what he has uh, given. The heights, they shall not destroy me, but they shall be my safety. They shall be my blessing. I don't know if you uh, know or remember, there was a 70s uh, Christian song uh, with the line that went, uh, put your hand in the hand of the man who stilled the water. That's a good line. Jesus, in all of his nature miracles, was demonstrating to those who had eyes that he was God walking his earth. He is the sovereign God. He is the God who stills the waters. We can put our hand in his hand, in the sovereign God. Secondly, Habakkuk speaks of the God who has brought him salvation. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Not God the Savior, God my Savior. He has saved me. Now to know that you're saved, saved from hell, saved from an awful judgment, to know that God loves you, to know that God loves you so much that he gave his son to take your place in judgment. What a perspective that gives. And it makes all our troubles seem so light and momentary compared to this great truth that I am loved by God and saved by his son, Jesus. Puts everything into perspective. Therefore, that is what I will put my joy in. That is what will give me contentment and will give me a song. My salvation. God, my Savior. I will joy in this. Remember when Jesus sent the disciples out on mission? And they came back and they were full of joy because they had seen all kinds of wonderful things happen. 
People uh, had demons cast out of them. People had been made well. People had responded to their message. And what does Jesus say? He gives them this mild rebuke. He says, don't rejoice over this. Don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice in this. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And Jesus says to us continually, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice in this, that you're saved, that your name is written in heaven. Get your perspective right. We had a lovely lady in our congregation in Barvis and Lewis, and she had to go one day and receive bad news from uh, the doctor, and it came like a hammer blow. And her testimony afterwards was, you know, she said, when I heard the words, the first thing that came to my mind uh, were the, the lines of the hymn, If ever I loved thee, my Jesus, tis now. That sustained her. That was her song in the midst of her trouble. Her saviour, Jesus. His love for her and her love his love for her and her love for him. What are the worst things that could happen to you? We could lose one of our senses. We could lose our sight. It would be a dreadful thing to lose our sight. We'd find ourselves hopelessly in debt. That would be an awful thing also to find ourselves in that situation. We could be in, in a car crash. We could come out uh, badly handicapped as a result of that car crash. All of these things would be hard to bear. And God's teaching to us today is that in all of these things, God can take us to the heights and give us joy in the trial. We can know his and yet. And of course, if you're not a believer then you're not equipped for the day of trouble. Because this is the believer's song. The conclusion's obvious, isn't it? Why not trust in the Lord? Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who will be with you not only in good times when the sun is shining, but through the night of doubt and sorrow. He will sustain you. May God bless his word to us all. Amen. We're going to continue with that thought as we sing our last hymn, which asks the question, will your anchor hold in the storms of life? When Habakkuk was hit uh, by the storm of God's revelation of what lay ahead, he had an anchor in the sovereign God, in the saving God. Will your anchor hold in the storms of life?
Thank you.